Pee on every snap and have fun. And last, and most importantly, be physical. They gotta do something. They gotta do something. Put your shoes on tight. Welcome back to Hard Edge Football Podcast. This is Coach Rich Rodriguez, and joining me, of course, of course, after a little break, my partner Raquel. What's up, Raquel? Not much. You know, we took a couple week break to get adjusted in the moves. You know, I have moved me personally quite a few times yes, this past yeah. year, so I took a little bit of a break to uh, adjust to the new moves. But now we're finally back talking some football. How is everything going at Jacksonville State? Good. And, and just a uh, note, if you hear like a little pounding in the background, that could be the rain uh, on our tin roof as it's coming down pretty hard. But things are going well, Raquel. It's been uh, been really impressed with our guys with workouts. Coach Blake McCall, our strength coach, uh, and his staff have done a, a really good job of getting the guys to buy in and to our program. We're getting ready to do uh, our strength conditioning testing. You know, see where our guys uh, have some measurables. See what they can bench press, 40-time, power clean, vertical jump, and all that stuff coming up in a week. So I'm anxious to see those those numbers. But And then we start spring practice in, in a week or so. So uh, our guys, I think, are ready for that. I know I'm ready. I know our staff is ready to, to get our guys out there, do some football, get some evaluation done of our players. And a couple of questions following that up. How has it been for the players and the coaches moving all of your stuff out of the old facility? And I know the players are now in an old training room with their locker room, their temporary locker room. How is that going? Yeah, for, for folks that are listening to us for the first time, you know, we are embarking. I say we at JSU, Jacksonville State, embarking on really over a $100 million project with a new football facility uh, tied into some dormitory slash apartments and a huge, beautiful cafeteria. And so this project is going to go on for the next 16 months or so, hopefully be done in the summer or a lot of it in the summer of 23. But meanwhile, we have moved temporarily into the press box for coaches' offices, uh, moved into a kind of a mini gym next to our weight room for a locker room. And our guys have adjusted really well. And we have a beautiful, I know I'm bragging on it, but we have, uh, we'll have one of the best press box areas and uh, luxury suite areas uh, in Division One, Not just in Power 5 or Group of 5, but in Division One. So our coaches have settled in really well. Our players are, have done a good job of adjusting. And when that project has started uh, now, and hopefully we'll be done, as I said, in the summer of 23 with a over $100 million uh, dorm, dining, and football project. And you briefly mentioned your new strength coach, Blake McCall, and he is someone that you actually did not know previous to coming here, and you kind of met through some interviews and some connections. So this is kind of some encouragement for coaches who think that, oh, you just have to know everyone to get into the business. Why don't you share how you got connected with Blake and ultimately how he became your head strength coach? Right. That's a good question. I mean, it, a lot of times it is people you know, and and certainly uh, it's not maybe somebody that you doesn't that you don't know, but somebody that that knows you that can help. And that's the case. And here, I, you know, Tommy Moffat, who's a legendary strength coach at LSU. I didn't know him well, but I knew of him. And uh, he reached out and said, "Hey, uh, I had, you know, he's got a, he had a couple guys uh, to recommend, but one guy in particular he thought was a young, up and coming strength coach that that's ready to take on the challenge of being a head uh, Division One football strength coach." And and Blake's resume stood out for himself, and so I brought him in for an interview and was really impressed. He was prepared. 
had all the right answers, uh, was ready to lead a staff. That's one thing. You got to be ready to lead a program, but also to lead a staff. And he's taking, making the most of the, uh, this opportunity. And fortunately, I was able to get some structure and enough help from the university to hire Blake, uh, a full-time assistant with Blake and several graduate assistants with him. And he has just taken it and grown with it. And, and uh, we're all still learning each other. Blake's learning some of my little quirks (laughs) and, uh, some of the things that we want to do in our program. But, um, it's been really good. And he's really, the most impressive thing is that how he and his staff have worked with our players. You know, there's a, there's about a bill. You have to have the ability to push them from a standpoint of getting them uncomfortable, being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Right. And enjoying it and wanting to come in there, not when they have to all the time, but when they want to, like for instance, on Saturdays, it's strictly voluntary. And we call it gun show Saturdays where they come and just do curls and biceps <laughs> right. and things to look in the mirror and look good for themselves. And I think uh, every Saturday, probably been half the team there that shows up and gets that done and gets some pizza and, and has a great time. And you mentioned that Blake brought in all the right materials and he was prepared. Now, I'm sure from just 25 years ago, coaches are bringing different things to their interview. What are some of the things that he brought into his interview like kind of a schedule of what his strength conditioning program is. What were those materials? Yeah, about? I told him, I said, I know we'll have some guidance. I'll give him some guidance as far as conditioning and some of the, the major lifts I want to get tested and some of the uh, variables that we like to have. But I also want to uh, get his input on what's new and what's upcoming. You know, I don't have all the answers as far as strength conditioning concerned, but I want to see what, what he could bring that's maybe something that's, uh, uh, that's happened or doing now in the last several couple years that that can help our program in this day and age, our guys get to another level. And he showed some of the speed and conditioning testing, some of the ways that, you know, some of the equipment that you can buy, which we've bought to show our explosiveness, to show our, uh, also some equipment they can show our guys how fast they're going. And I think that's a common thing, you know, you're going 20 miles an hour and all that stuff, but also how much wear and tear that they can have or put on our workout. So we'll know what kind of load our guys are carrying during the season and if we need to uh, and I will say back off but lead give them a little bit of rest time here and there if they have so many miles and in fact I got to look at some of this week where there were a couple guys uh in a workout that were getting you know two miles in a couple guys only getting a mile and a half and so he's able to check on this workload by simply having them have a uh a vest on that shows all that so he's a really sharp guy uh our trainer our training staff has been outstanding. Uh, Mike has led the way there, and uh, we, we're just very fortunate. I think we're prepared for this move to Division One. I. I think our guys are seeing that. So now we've got our Jacksonville State update in, but let's get to what is going on in football as a whole. First being we're going to get into the NCAA is going to attempt to re- review NIL policies and the impact on student athletes yeah. and potential violations. Now, I think that's going to be really hard to find. Yeah, hello. I mean, you kind of like uh, said, okay, hands off for a year and uh, let everything go crazy. Now you're going to like, oh boy, everything's kind of going crazy. We need to get some type of control. I don't know how you're going to do it. They're going to ask for help from Congress or the Senate. And, you know, they got other things to worry about more than that. So I, I think it's a, it's a little bit of a mess and it's going to probably stay a mess. And, you know, before, uh, let's not kid ourselves. There was some under the table kind of cheating going on. Mm-hmm. Now it's all above board. And now once you got it above board and, uh, you know, there's going to be really hard for them to say, well, 
Here's what the deal is. If, if, if you're listening for the first time and trying to find it, you're not allowed to use a name, image, and likeness program you know, from outside the school to entice someone to come there. Mm-hmm. Well, why, what the hell do you think you're doing for? Right. That's the reason why they go there. It's, oh, okay, if I go there, somebody's going to give me $50,000. I mean, they're going to go there and then they're going to wait and get it. That does not, that's not the way, if you think that's going to be the way you're going to handle it, it's not. And some schools are going to have more money to be able to give guys more opportunities. They say, "Well, you have an opportunity to earn." Well, let's trust me. There, there's more they're than the opportunity. They're, they're setting it up, mm-hmm. and maybe not the school set up, but people that love the school and support the school are setting it up, and the rules allowing them to do that legally now. Mm-hmm. And that's just exactly what's happening. And so you got to have some kind of legislation for that. Sure, I think you should be some kind of salary cap. Uh, I think, you know, and this is going to, I know I've probably mentioned it on this forum that uh, you have to have contracts. Yeah, you have you to have contracts that. for when you sign. Uh, you have to have contracts for, I mean, how many years a guy's going to be? A one year, three year, four year scholarship, whatever. Uh, you can't, right now, it's just in the NFL, people that have people that get paid to do things, athletics in particular, and pros. They have salary caps. They have rules. They have guidelines. There is none of that. And so the NCAA is going to try to legislate it, but they have no power. They've shown that, you know, in the, in the right way to do it. So until everybody comes together and the schools themselves, all right, athletic directors, presidents, and commissioners all agree that, hey, this is the limit. This is the way we got to check it. This is the way it's going to happen. It's just going to be crazy and there's going to be six or seven teams that dominate college football and it's almost like that right now anyway Mm -hmm. and i just think it's probably going to be really hard to prove any violations it's just going to be i mean now that it's so easily done i just feel like it would be hard for an ncaa investigation to really prove one school unless they're extremely blatant with it yeah it's like that's like for instance you say well you can't tell them which player to give an nil nil to well they can read they understand who's the five-star recruit and who's the, or they they're going to call up a coach and you're going to say, "Well, I'm not going to tell you that what we're going to do for this guy, but tell me some guys that you think are really good players, or mm-hmm. tell me who you picked as your player of the game, or tell me who you see out there recruiting that's a target for you mm-hmm. that's going to be uh, one of the players could help. Not not that we're going to give him money, but who you think could be a great player for your system. So that you know, let, let's let's uh, like you said, it's going to be very hard to prove that. It's not incentive based uh, for these guys getting these these deals, but it's but it's going to be. And shifting gears a little bit, talking about alliances, conferences, and commissioners, the Big Ten, their athletic directors are preferring to keep the nine game in league schedule as compared to playing some of the teams like in the ACC or in the Pac-12 too. And this is going to affect supposedly their alliance from back in 2020. So what are your thoughts on that? I think, obviously, each conference is going to want to rather play in-game, in-conference games, right? Yeah, keep the money in the league, right? Right. Why, why share the money with somebody else? Let's keep the money in the league and and then let's make sure we're set up for the playoff. You know, we don't want to have, you know, uh, nine really hard games. We'd rather have eight and then have one or two we know we're going to win and then have a regional rivalry or something that's – that's uh, national attention. So they just want to have control over what. And that's where I know but many people, we've said this on this podcast, and I know many people suggested it, that there needs to be one 
singular voice, a commissioner or a governing body, not the NCA, over all these schools. The problem, it's not necessarily a problem, but the, each institution and each league is going to do what's best for each institution and each league. Mm-hmm. And the way they're set up right now, that's the way they're going to do it. And you can't blame them for doing that way. So you think it's better, like the alliance really wasn't much of anything. It's that was, that's they, a fancy word for people to you know, to try to, you know, keep everybody together. You know, the SEC's taking everybody. They've got Oklahoma, mm-hmm. Texas coming in. But, you know, we'll compete with you because we'll, we'll be in an alliance. We'll hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Ain't happening. You know, remember no. we told the story on this podcast about what happened at West Virginia way back 10, 15 years ago when, when the Big East was – was folding and uh, we were going to try to keep them together. And, and I know some of us, including me said, that's not going to happen because you had football schools, basketball schools, you had Notre Dame, everybody's going to act in their own interest. Mm -hmm. You know, West Virginia is not going to care what Syracuse or Syracuse is not going to care what West Virginia does. You know, everybody's going to do their own thing. What's best for them. And and so the league blew up and, you know, WVU is very fortunate to get in uh, a power five conference, such as the big 12. And it's surprising too, because Cincinnati was a pretty good team, and they ended up not getting into a Power Five yeah. conference. Now they are. Oh you know? yeah, exactly. And they, and now they, they got are. in because their football program did phenomenally. That's the reason they got in, mm-hmm. and uh, they got other advantages there too. I mean, it's a it's a, it's a great institution, but you know, I think uh, I don't think the the alignment and the conferences is, is done yet. I think the way it's going, uh, it, we're gonna he- we're heading to like a twenty four twenty five. Uh, top, top top programs conference division and that's who's going to compete for the number one spot in semi-pro slash college football and speaking of all this money that is going around in college football assistant coaches are becoming harder and harder to keep we're seeing a lot of movement a lot of very talented coaches switching some spots what are your thoughts on that one of your former players and coaches Jamal Adai was National champions at Georgia and now heading to taking his talents to Miami. Yeah. So, what are your thoughts on all these assistant coaches movements? I think it's an, it's always been the nature of the beast, Raquel. I mean, coaches kind of look for you know not just different opportunities career wise and financially, but also maybe where they feel that it helps them uh, in an upward trajectory, so to speak, from a coordinator standpoint to a head coach standpoint, or from a familiarity standpoint with a with where you're living. Like Jamal, for instance, he's from Florida, and it's a great opportunity for him to make his mark in his own home state and, uh, you know, maybe, you know, elevate that program. That's going to elevate everybody's status. I mean, Jamal could be a coordinator and going to be a head coach soon. So everybody says plant, you know, where your feet are at and do the best you can and treat every job like it's the last job you ever had because it might be. But the money is so good, particularly Power 5, that you understand why some guys move from Group of 5 to Power 5. As a head coach, what you try to do is uh, do what you can for your, your staff and, and make them feel that, they're, uh, that you're going to help them in their career, that you're going to win, of course, you know, <laughs> that's always important, and that they have great value and that you hope they don't make lateral moves. If they're going to make a move, it's for a, a coordinator position or obviously for a head coach position. But uh, there's guys that, you know, the NFL, you're, you're seeing now more guys from the NFL go to college. And obviously a lot of college guys love to go to the NFL because the NFL, actually the work schedule in the NFL is probably better. A little bit better, yeah. Yeah, than it is in college because you ain't got to worry about recruiting. So mm-hmm. you're seeing a lot of guys get it. And the retirement in the NFL is a hell of a lot better than college. I mean, there's no retirement in college. Right, there's none. <laughs> you know, and the NFL's got a great setup for that. So 
Well, a lot of guys, once they get in the league, NFL I'm talking about, uh, they love to stay in there and try to get 10, 15 years and 20 years. And uh, if they can do that, it's a hard it's hard to win because everybody's so close. But if they can do that, they're pretty much set. And you've made several moves as a head coach and as an assistant. What do you think – which move do you think made the most difference for you? Ooh, that's a that's a good question, Markel. You're putting the pressure on me. All these moves. I think all of them were obviously impactful. I think, uh, you know, getting the Glenville State job when I was 26, wherever I was, and then be able to put in my own offense and kind of tweak with it, which, you know, a lot lot of it we're still using today, was was probably the start of it all. Mm -hmm. But probably the one that made the most impact was probably going, leaving Glenville and going to Tulane, Mm -hmm. which I was very comfortable with Glenville, great people. I mean, to this day, Ike Morris and the folks at Glenville are, are some of my closest friends. Um, but going there and going somewhere where, you know, I didn't know about, Tulane down in New Orleans, to a program that hadn't won, to uh, a staff that I didn't know at all other than the head coach, Tommy Bowden, and putting an offense that had been uh, successful Division Two going straight to 1A mm-hmm. was a little bit of an unknown too. And so uh, being able to go there – and uh, be able to have an impact and, and really kind of, I guess, take off with with the system and with my career from Glenville to Tulane was the most impactful one. Mm-hmm. And then uh, as, from a head coach standpoint, getting a chance to go home at West Virginia and be able to um, do some things at that program, you know, took it to another level. But uh, the Tulane move, the Glenville first, but the Tulane move was probably the one that probably changed the – trajectory I guess you could say mm-hmm. the most and that was probably a hard move to make because obviously mm-hmm. at Glenville State you're pretty much your own boss at that point you're also the athletic director right. and then to go then you went to Tulane to be a coordinator and when, you yeah. were you don't even remember because you were just born <laughs> right and we we're both from West Virginia and we here we have a young child and we're moving into a city we had never really been to into a mm-hmm. place we didn't really know and mostly people we didn't know. And the you know, people at Tulane, the people at New Orleans were were just fantastic. Of course we won and all that, but gosh, the players we had, Sean King and those guys and the coaches we worked with, Tommy Bowden was a was just absolutely terrific. Uh and everybody out there. Of course we were, you know, like I said, we won, but it was a great experience. And you probably don't remember it. Um, <laughs> you know, we got you were so little I, all I think I remember is we had a nice little neighborhood and that we took you, the only way to get you to go to sleep was drive you around in a golf cart and that <laughs> would put you to sleep. If we didn't drive you around in a golf cart around the neighborhood, you would be up all night. So Yeah, that sounds you know, about right. Yeah, but uh, it, it worked out. It worked out good. So uh, we're very, I'm very proud of that. And this is actually a good lesson, a good story for coaches out there because when Tommy left for Clemson, you thought you had a really good shot at becoming the Tulane yes. head coach and then that you didn't get it. And then you were, I'm sure, annoyed that you didn't get that opportunity, but it ended up working out for you in the long run. You got to go to Clemson and then it headed to West Virginia, of course. What What are your thoughts on that? What's advice, is, advice you'd give to a coach who didn't get a position he thought he should have gotten? Yeah, you know, we probably talked about it before, but it's a, that's a very good question, a good point for all of our aspiring coaches that listen. And there, there are going to be disappointments when you try to get – there are going to be jobs that you wanted to get that you didn't get for whatever reason. One, don't uh, – and it's easy to get upset. You can get mad at the person that didn't hire you or at the school or whatever, but you don't want to – because you, you might get the opportunity to get that job the second time around. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you might either the coach might have another position you're ever. So if you don't don't get all pissy and mad at the coach or mad at the school if they didn't hire you, even though at the Tulane thing I was a little upset because I was like, gee whiz, what do we got to do to earn this? But right, you know, it's ironic. You know, it came back around and whatever it was, uh, fifteen years later. Mm-hmm. The opportunity came up again right. to, to be at Tulane, and I interviewed and talked to him. And then two days later, the Arizona job came open. And I was able to go to Arizona. So, you know, try I, I, hard as it is, when disappointment happens. You know, swallow your pride a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. say, "Gee whiz, I wish I would have got it." And stay in touch and contact with the people that interviewed you that should talk to you. And if you're a good coach, you'll get another opportunity. Well, geez, I didn't know we were going to have so many good coaching tips about yes, the profession. Yes, we got it. We're throwing it in there, Raquel, because <laughs> of your questions. You're, you got, you're a wealth of knowledge seeker tonight. <laughs> exactly. Got to ask the good questions. And then to close out this segment, before we move on, Coach Matt Luke, such a great family, such a great coach. He is stepping away from football to spend some time with his family. What are your thoughts on that and your time with Matt Luke? Yeah, he, he's, uh, you know, won a national championship with Georgia. You know, Matt knows he gave the reasons why, you know, to, to be with his wife, Ashley, and the kids. And they're at right at an age where he can make an impact and take them to school, coach them in Little League or, you know, youth football, what have you, and all that. But he's probably never really, he's never really had a break. I mean, he went mm-hmm. you know, straight from, from playing to coaching and been in the SEC for a long time. Uh, 20 years or whatever, I mean, that that can take a toll on you. We all got let go at Ole Miss. I mean, he was almost at work immediately. Yeah, like weeks later. (laughs) Yeah, weeks later, Georgia. So he never really had a chance to exhale a little bit and – you know, after you're spent, I know from experience, after spending a few years as a head coach, it 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 takes a toll on you. And he never really had a chance to take a break. So Matt, such a great person, great football coach. You know, he take a little break, take a little time, and uh, there'll be a lot of people that love to hire him uh, if he wants to get back into coaching, which he probably will, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, or he would be great on TV. I mean, he would oh, be yeah. a great analyst because he's got a good personality and he's a fun guy. So i like to see him on TV sometime. Yeah, we'll have to get him on Hard Edge Football. Oh, yeah, he he's going to have to be. On. He'll be a guest on here. We can tell some stories for sure. <laughs> and we'll be right back after a short message from our sponsor. Hard Edge Football Podcast is sponsored by iPacket. iPacket takes the guesswork out of purchasing your next vehicle by putting all the important documentation in one place. Documents like the original window sticker, warranty information, new car brochure, and vehicle history report. Ask your local car dealer for an iPacket or visit www.ipacket.us to learn more. So let's get to our what's under review this week. This week's topic is the college football playoff yet again. So the committee decided it will not be expanding the playoff for now, at least through the 2025 season. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's not surprising. I mean, they're, they're trying to move so quickly, and I think there was a groundswell of support for moving it to 8, to 10, to 12, but I don't think there was any kind of definitive uh, plan. It was just kind of kind of put together, and there's so much money involved with that that I think they just said, hey, we ain't got time to you know to get this right. I don't think it should be that hard to figure it out. But I think when they moved it to four, it diminished the bowl games. If they moved it to 12, it diminished all the other bowl games in, in some respects. So, you know, it is what it is. I think the same four, five, six teams are going to be competing every year right now. 
there may be somebody that popped in there like this year. Uh, not that Michigan popped in was a great surprise, but Cincinnati popping in. I don't think that's going to happen a whole lot, but I think it's, uh, you know, three or four more years. It'll stay at four. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if a year the the, the conversation starts back up again. Right. It, people like to talk about it just because it's controversial. As coaches, you know, hell, I like, you know, we're not worried about that. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, whether even if you're a group of five, let's just try to win as many games as we have. Let's get our fans excited to watch us, no matter whether we're going to get in the playoff or not. And that's right. what you want to do. Exactly. And compete for conference championships and just enjoy the sport. Of yeah, college it's a great football. college football is the greatest thing out there. And the pop, you know, the attendance post COVID is showing that people are, love, are coming back to the games. Look at the NFL attendance. It's phenomenal. So people love coming to, to football games and not just for the football, but for everything else, you know, the camaraderie and, and having, you know, enjoying tailgating, spending time with your family, the experience of it. Mm-hmm. And, and I hope they'll always keep doing that. You know, I've actually never been to an NFL game. I've been to a couple NFL stadiums, but I've never been to an NFL game. Isn't that there, funny? I've been to a couple, but usually you can as a college coach. You hope you're playing in bowl games and never have a chance. But Right. So our official coaching tip of this week is we're going to talk about how do you break down a single play? What are the things you look for? How do you break it down from start to yeah, finish? Yeah, coaches know, particularly most of the coaches know, and you film your practices, you film your games, you have – uh, the all 22 uh, type of thing. Whenever there's all 22 players you can see from a sideline standpoint, uh, from an end zone standpoint, uh, whether it's going in zone behind the quarterback or in zone facing the quarterback. And then also from a tight standpoint where you have, you know, kind of focused on the box, you know, from, from uh, on the line of scrimmage between the big guys, the linemen, and it's kind of closed in on that. So you can have all four of those, uh, views in which we've had many times fall for those views on um, on every play, and that allows you to kind of s- to stare or, s- or or look at, and you can even have a tight view from both behind the line. So there's really five views, mm-hmm. but as a coach, you know you you want to break down each play. And there's been some plays where you rewind it, go back. I've been accused of rewinding and going back and forth. <laughs> Is that your thing? About twenty some times. I know Pat McAfee. We're going. We got to talk to him again and have some fun with him. But you know the one punt return that we've allowed was Darrell Revis and Pat was a kicker. And I think we the whole team watched it, and it took about. 25 minutes to rewind that, that back play. and forth that one play because <laughs> I was singling out each guy and you don't want to spend too much on every play but you want to be able to show them or point out something that maybe they did not see or feel or realize on the field mm-hmm. that's the value of the film that you can tell a guy oh you know you step with the wrong foot you're at the wrong depth on the route uh, you were loafing on the play uh, you were out of position, what have you. In the film, they always say the film doesn't lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it could tell a lot. But it could tell too much as a coach. You can almost get on there if you, you know, uh, if you get too technical on too many spots, all right, you'll never get through the whole scrimmage or the whole game. And mm-hmm. I think it's really you really have to plan it out as a coach. Because remember when I know we've talked about on this show. You know, asking the players, and Rhett was 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 key in this. We asking him, so what's important to players? Always tell the truth, mm-hmm. and don't waste their time. Right. You can't, coaches. If you're listening to me, don't meet for more than forty five to fifty minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, you get an hour and 15, 20 minutes. These guys are going to want to sleep on you. I mean, right. You get bored, and so if you're going to watch film, which most of you do, 
and you only have a smaller window, maybe 30, 40 minutes to watch it, you can't get through all the film. Uh, cut out or or try to slice, whatever, whether you do it, your GA do it, or your video person, the, the plays that you think are most relevant that you need to teach. Mm-hmm. Like good, bad, and indifferent. You know, these plays are the ones that really you can make a point on, mm-hmm. both good and bad. You don't always be negative. And then also, I always think it's very important to do this. I always like doing this is pull out a couple that you think are going to be funny. Yeah. You know, somebody kind of trips over themselves or does, because there's always something that's comical right. on the film. And if you could throw in a little comedy, it makes the room kind of liven up a little bit, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And yeah. whether you're laughing uh, at a play call you did yourself or somebody, you know, a big guy pick, you know, picking a ball off and tripping over his own feet or something. There's always something comical you can find. And that's usually And if it's very, really, really comical, you know, you want to show the whole team once in a while and let <laughs> yeah. our guys have some fun with it. Well, you know, there was one time I was wondering, uh, back my senior year of college, I always wondered if I made your film because I had slipped in the middle of the football field during one of the timeouts. So I'd always, <laughs> so I always. Was the film on catching yeah, our Yeah, exactly. Kill, I was slut, like, slut oh gosh, I bet they were recording, but I didn't know because they, you know, you splice well, from we, play we, to play. We've had some, you know, guys on the sidelines taking out cheerleaders on the ball oh, going yeah. out of bounds or. Or somebody else that, because you know, a lot of times on sidelines, you know, cheerleaders, you get your back turned toward, you got your face in the crowd, or you got other people on the sidelines that aren't really paying attention, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. <laughs> and you don't realize, uh, which you know, because you're on the field, you know, if you're sitting in the stands, particularly watching Division One college football or NFL, you sit in the stands, the game seems fast, but you know, you can still kind of piece it together a little bit. But when you're on the sidelines, it is fast, fast. If right. you're not accustomed to how fast these guys move on a Division One level and at the NFL level, it's amazing because mm-hmm. you can turn your head for one second on the sidelines and boom, there could be 290-pounders running full speed going right by you. Right. I mean, it is it is crazy how fast the game is and how fast these these guys go. Now, this is unrelated, but what were your thoughts on the one player who was inactive on the Bengals who ran out on the field to celebrate a touchdown in the Super Bowl? Love your enthusiasm. <laughs> question your intelligence. <laughs> so he was he got caught he up got in the moment. He got fined for it, too. That's oh. what the NFL does. They just fine you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so his enthusiasm was great, but he he, uh, he cost his team. That was that's why I'd be pissed. I'd be like, he cost the fifteen yards. You know, you got to be. You know, he probably went out there so fast nobody could grab him before he went out there. Right, just got caught up in the moment. It was an exciting time, and then yikes! That that was yikes. hurtful. One. Not good. So to close out our episode this week, we're just going to ask a little hot take question. Uh-oh. So obviously, we've all most of the people in the sports world have seen all the drama between Michigan's head basketball coach, Juan Howard, suspended for the rest of the regular season. So just five more games for the altercation with the Wisconsin assistant coach. After that, this past weekend, have you ever almost gotten to an altercation with a coach from an opposing team after a game or wanted to throw hands with the coach after a game or something like that? Good question. Uh, I never almost got into it, but hell, a lot of times I wanted to. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, you get, you know, fortunately I've always had a pretty good relationship with the opposing team. You don't really, our coaches, you don't want to get to know them. You talk to them before the game and uh, shake their hand after the game. Um, and usually at the higher levels you go, you know, everything's on TV. And you just, I never got upset when somebody was throwing the ball and they're up big or did something during the game. Uh, there were times where, uh, you know, you saw opposing coach 
maybe an assistant coach yelling or talking to one of your play our players. And that were that's the one that really ticked me off. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, coach your own guys, right. don't coach my guys. So I know there's a couple of times I got upset with that. Uh, and then the game was over, let it go. Uh, and, but I've never like if a team is up on you and they are scoring and keep scoring, you know, you're like, geez, you know, it's our job to stop them. Right. You know, so I, I never get too upset at that. But I can remember a time we were getting beat bad in my first year at Glenville. I was a young coach and the team was clearly uh, trying to pile it on. I mean, you could tell. I mean, they were taking timeouts up by 28, 30 points, wherever it is. And, you know, afterwards, I didn't say much. The coach shook his hands, but then other people were yelling, their fans, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think I remember, I think it was with your mom walking by, and I was ready to go. I was ready to, <laughs> yeah. I was ready to throw down with it. I was so mad. And uh, <laughs> thankfully, a cooler head prevailed. But, you know, there's so much emotion with that. As a coach, you got to, you know, uh, you know, you got to understand, you know, play, your players are looking at you. Now, like I said, people said, you know, because I can get a little fired up. You know that? You believe oh, that yeah. or not? You believe know, that or not. You can get fired, fired up. up. But I've never had one 15-yard penalty. Really? Personal foul penalty. You haven't? Nope. In 24 years as a head coach. I've deserved many of them. <laughs> uh, you know, I've got to the I end. I would have thought you'd have one by But now. <laughs> I don't really yell. I don't really scream and yell at the officials that much during a game because most of them actually do a pretty good job. And a lot of times they can't hear you anyway. Yeah. You know, at the big stadiums. And so... Uh, I've gotten their attention a couple times, and uh, but now I've I can't now I'm now it could be somebody made to be listening and said no I no I don't think twenty four years <laughs> not gotten a personal foul called on me now the sideline has for for a coach you know getting in the way of official running mm-hmm. down the sideline or something like that or somebody I think I did have an assistant coach boy I was mad I forget who remember who it was we got a penalty for saying something he should have or stepping out too far on the field oh yeah uh, getting a penalty but. Uh, Fortunately, it hadn't happened too often, and and you don't want to hurt your team like that. But it is emotion. There's a lot of emotions for sure. So you can't think of one instance where you things got very heated on a sideline with an opposing coach, and you almost got into it, or not really? No, because you know the difference in football is it's not two, as close. Yeah, they're fifty some yards away, mm-hmm. and a lot of times they can't hear if you're yelling them all that. But I, you know, uh, I think it was uh, might have been UCLA. It was somebody. I think it was them, and I was at Arizona, and and um, they were. You could see there the coaches were getting on or jawing at some of our players, my players, mm-hmm. and that was to me. You know, that's you know, Chill coach, out. coach your own team. Right. Don't coach my guys. Coach your own team. And if my guys did something wrong, I'll coach them up. It's not you. It's not your job to coach my guys. And so it was something along those lines that that ticked me off. Mm-hmm. And uh, probably I probably yelled across loud enough so he could hear that. <laughs> you know, hey, coach your guys. You know, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think that wraps up this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you've had a good past couple of weeks. We've missed being on the podcast with you. Yeah, and you threw some stuff at me today, Raquel. Thanks to our title sponsor, iPacket, uh, the great folks from Astorg. Astorg Motors, uh, absolutely the best service you can get. iPacket, if you're going to buy a car, get on iPacket. Check out iPacket. But thanks for listening. There's always things happening in the great world of college football, college sports, and Hard Edge Football Podcast is on top of it. You can follow us on Twitter at Hard Edge FB, on Instagram at Hard Edge Football. There you can find all the updates on Hard Edge Football and Jacksonville State.